The following message was delivered at the 2022 Covenant Conference hosted by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. The conference was held on March 17th to 19th in Louisville, Kentucky, and the conference theme was, I Will Build My Church, Taking Up the Urgent Task of Missions and Church Planting. It is a great, great privilege for me to be here with you this evening to talk about missions. And I praise God for what we've already heard. My, my, if David's three mighty men would break through the camp of the Philistines to bring him a cup of water, does that not animate us, motivate us? That although the walls of Jericho are tightly shut up, none go out and none come in, doesn't that give us the strength and the motivation to charge and to keep pounding and pounding and pounding till those doors fall? Pounding not with armaments of the flesh, not with church growth strategies, not with silly little inventions of men, but with the weapons of our warfare. The word of God. Prayer. Prayer. Did I mention prayer? And sacrificial love pouring ourselves out for him because he's worthy. Pouring ourselves out for the elect. Pouring ourselves out for everyone. For everyone. We have a reason to be alive. A reason. Christ has given us one. This is great commission. I'm going to look at two passages tonight that might seem quite unusual. The first one tells us about Christ's heart with regard to the decrees and plan, redemptive plan of God. The other passages tell us about Christ's heart with regard to a lost in a dying world. I hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I believe that God has decreed all things from before the foundation of the world. And as R.C. Sproul used to say, I do not believe there is a maverick molecule in the universe. And yet, I believe that what we do matters. Our devotion matters. Our growth and sanctification matters. Do not get locked in to either side. Don't always be looking at man and man's ability and what man should 
do. But don't be passive in the name of the sovereignty of God. If you want to find an adequate balance, run to Spurgeon. You'll find it there. God has decreed all things, and yet you have not because you ask not. Let's look at these two passages. I want in Matthew 6. Verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We're going to turn our attention first to Matthew chapter six, but I want to read a passage to you before I go there. And it's found in Luke 11, verse one. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then he gives us the modeled prayer that we have in Matthew six. And we're going to turn back to Matthew six because it's a uh, it's an expansion of that petition. But before we do, I want you to notice something. The disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to preach. He was the premier preacher, teacher. None like him, the second and greater than Moses. But no one ever said, teach us to preach and teach. They never said, teach us to cast out demons. They never said, teach us to walk on water. They never said, teach us to heal the blind, all extraordinary things. But they did come to him and they said, teach us to pray. I believe that the most extraordinary thing about Jesus Christ was his communion with the Father, his prayer life. If you've heard me preach at all, you know I'm not a trained theologian, but I do study my Bible and I love theology. Truth is important because the Great Commission is not about sending missionaries, it's about sending God's truth through missionaries. You must know truth. But a parrot can recite a creed. And the only way that truth is going to become a part of you and the only way you're ever going to be an instrument that the Lord can use is a life of prayer. I have studied men on both sides of the fence, the greatest Calvinists, the greatest Arminians. And I do not find much in agreement sometimes, but I do find one thing in common with regard to these men and women. They prayed. 
When you talk about battles, don't talk to me about Jesus marches or some social parade. You talk about fighting. Don't talk to me about standing up in the middle of a plaza and preaching until people throw too many things at you. If you want to talk about a battle, know that that battle starts in the secret place. Alone with God. It's there that men are fashioned and it is there that men are broken to pieces and it's there that men find their weakness and it's there that men find their strength. So if you're going to talk about missions, you must talk about prayer. Now I want us to go back to Matthew. Chapter six. In verse 8, he says, so then do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't be like the pagans. Do not pray like those who do not know God. This tells me what? That the only way to learn how to pray is first to learn. About the person to whom you are praying, the knowledge of God exceeds all other knowledges. It is the foundation for all other knowledges. You must know God. When you read your Bible, young people, young men, I know you hear that thing about after you read a text, ask yourself, what is it saying about me? That is maybe the stupidest thing that's ever been said by any human being on the planet. After you read a text, the first thing to ask yourself is, what is it saying about God? I must know God. Wise men are challenged not to boast in their wisdom, strong men in their strength, rich men in their wealth. He who boasts, boasts of this, that he knows me, God says. We were taught rightly in the devotional this afternoon that you must know him. Never forget the great commission is not the great command. The great command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. From that comes forth the great commission. Knowing him. Knowing him. We must pray. And not just intercession, although it's extremely important, but communion. Communion. Delighting. In him. Verse nine, he says, pray then in this way. Isn't this amazing? Someone actually asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And his answer is, "Okay, pray this way. And then almost no one takes him seriously. Why? I believe in part because Roman Catholicism has so perverted this text and turned it into a pagan ritual. But if you want to pray, if you want to know everything you need to know about prayer, it's found in the words of our Lord. He says, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, here's the perfect psychology of prayer. You want to know the attitude you should have when you approach God? He says it in just a matter of a few words. Our father who is in heaven, he's your father. But, but don't think I'm going to say he's your daddy. Or think that I'm going to twist some Greek word into forming an English word like daddy. He's your father. He's not your daddy. 
Father meant something quite different to the Oriental mind. The closest you will find is in some places in Africa today, where when a child says to their father, Father, they bow their knee. But he is your father. And he loves you beyond anything this preacher can comprehend. And even what I can comprehend, I cannot communicate to you. He loves you. He is your father. If you could catch one fraction of a glimpse of the love of God toward you, it would fracture your mind and drive you mad. He loves you. Do you know what a person can accomplish? The frailest, tiniest, smallest, weakest person. Do you have any idea what they can accomplish when they know that they are perfectly and immutably loved? They can fight lions and dragons and men and demons. So when you go, you're loved. But know this, your father is the king of glory. Your father who loves you is the king of glory. Be careful with your words. There is nothing nonchalant about coming before this father. Nothing. Oh, is he lovely? Oh, is he kind? But he's king. Sovereign. The majesty of majesty. Young men, listen to me. I'm going to go off in different angles. Don't blame me. I just want to reach your heart. Know this. If I have two young men standing before me and both of them have the exact same theology, but one of them got it out of a systematic and the other one got it out of the scripture, I'll be able to tell the difference. Remember, the reformers didn't call themselves reformers. They just wanted to be biblical. And out of their being biblical came reformation. Feed on the scriptures and feed on the scriptures on your knees. If you want to do missions. Our father who is in heaven. Your father is the king of heaven. Remember, there's a picture taken of John F. Kennedy in which he's in the Oval Office. So at that point in his life, he's the most powerful man on the planet in the most intimidating room on the planet. Men would tremble to be called into that office. And yet the photographer is taking the picture from across the room and you can see through the center of the desk. And his little son is playing at his feet. With a toy. Our father who art in heaven. And then he comes with three petitions, which is something of a trinity in itself. They're all distinct, and yet they are all one, all saying the same thing. And yes, they have a great deal to do with missions. But first of all, know this, that in this part here, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You are seeing the heart of Christ laid open. You are seeing what Jesus Christ, the man, was all about. You're knowing him now. He lived. He breathed. He put forth 
strenuous effort. Why? For this cause right here. This is why he lived. That God's name would be hallowed. That God's kingdom would come. That his will would be done. That's why he lived. That's why he came into this world. Everything he did was focused on these three things. And as his people, the same is to be said of us. And that shows you just how terribly pitiful and dangerous most church prayer meetings actually are. They're missing the point entirely. What should be our passion? Hallowed be thy name. I remember when I was a young Christian, we were fond of saying very stupid things theologically. Keep God number one as though there was a number two that followed him or a number three. When he says, hallowed be your name, he's saying actually that your name be separated. Distinct. That your name be placed in an entirely other category, another box. It's not that everything in the world is all in the same sphere. And if you climb the list, you find God at the top. God is in a completely different sphere. And what was the prayer of Christ? Why did Christ live? He lived so that this would be a reality in his own heart, in the heart of his church, in the heart of the entire world. He lived so that men would see what? That God is above all things distinct. To be esteemed above all persons and things distinct. Entirely in a philosophical category, entirely other. How do you get there? Because you must get there as a missionary. How do you get there again? No silly plan. Do as Bunyan did. Study the scriptures until if they cut your veins, you bleed the Bible. The scriptures, the scriptures. What else? Prayer. The secret watch. The night watch. When everyone else rests. To meet with him. To know him. So that you see he, him as he is. That he be hallowed. Why do missionaries lay awake at night thinking about the Korowai people in Indonesia and in Papua, Indonesia? Or the Losi tribe in West Zambia? Or the Parisians in France? Why? Why do they think about them? First of all, because they think about him. It is their desire, their hope. That everyone will see God as he is. And esteem him above all things. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. 
I remember being in Williamsburg many years ago, studying about the founding of our country. As countries go, it had quite a noble founding. And I began to think through American history. I began to think about where we are now. And I felt sorry for the founding fathers. I felt sorry for soldiers who had given their life in the Revolutionary War. I felt sorry for soldiers who had died in the Civil War. Because even though they gave the ultimate, they paid the ultimate price. They paid the ultimate price for a kingdom that even in the beginning was corrupted and over the years has become more and more corrupted. A kingdom that will not endure. I remember when I was 17 years old, we were running out barbed wire on our horse farm and my father and I were talking and all of a sudden he screamed. And when he screamed, I turned around and I saw him falling and I caught him and and he died. I was 17 and I thought everything I ever wanted to be was like him. He's big, he's strong, he's smart, he's respected. I realized at that moment, nothing really mattered. You, you are born, you're educated, you work, you retire, you die. Even if you're some great historical person like George Washington, you give your life for something that as soon as you die is turned over to evil and foolish men and crumbles in your hands. What is that? There is nothing to live for. It's all stupid and vain and absurd and backward and twisted and dislocated. But then... I discovered that there is a kingdom that is incorruptible with an incorruptible king that will endure forever. Aha! A reason to live. Whatever battles you and I fight here, whatever scars we carry on our bodies and our hearts in this great battle, they will be spoken of throughout eternity. Young men, listen to me. We finally have a reason to be alive. We have a kingdom to live for, to fight for, to suffer for, to die for, and to do so gloriously. Gloriously. We are the most privileged people on the planet. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But you see, here's something that you need to understand. If you're praying for the world to be separated unto God, you must be separated unto God. When you pray that, you must be praying that for yourself. If you pray it for the lost world, if you pray it for the church, you must also realize you must pray it for yourself in your own heart, becoming more and more separated unto Him. More and more given to the kingdom battle and greater and greater submission to His will. 
greater and greater submission to his will. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes in the night I'll wake up and just stare out the window. I think about everything I've read in scripture about his kingdom and his coming, his throne, his beauty. I want to be there. But then, like Paul, I don't know if I want to die or if I want to live. Because this battle is glorious. And it is glorious because it has eternal purpose. I'm just going to just listen. I, I, this isn't in the notes. Let me look at this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. I am so tired of this, this sissy, silly, I don't know what to call it, Christianity. We are men. We were birthed. To desire these kinds of things, glory, honor, and immortality. To serve a king, to die for a king, to live for a king. That's what we were made for. This silly world and all its trinkets and ideas puts you in cages. You become a little trapped creature. You need to choose you this day who you're going to serve. But you need to do so with the greatest amount of hope and joy. Because we have a kingdom and a king. Now I want you to go on and, and look at this. He says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now there's a passage that is usually so twisted up by preachers that all its meaning is squeezed out of it. Because what do they usually say? Well, what it's saying here is he's going to give you your daily bread, not bread for the next 10 years. That's not the point. You're missing the entire point. Do you know what this passage really means? It means this. Lord. My greatest desire is that your name be hallowed, that your kingdom come and that your will be done. That's all I want. That's all I want. Now, give me whatever resources I need so that I can devote my life to those things. Give me the bread I need. Give me whatever resource I need as I devote myself to this singular task of glorifying your name on this planet. You see, you can't interpret this text apart from what precedes it or what follows it. This is Christ and he's revealing his heart to us. This is a person who has literally driven every ounce of him to God being glorified. And what to follow him in that. Then we say, Lord, give me what I need. 
to devote my life to such a high ideal. Let me give you an example. See if we pull one here out of the air. So. Let's say I'm sick. Very sick. How should I pray? How should I pray? This is how I should pray in light of this Lord. If by healing my body, your name, it'll serve to sanctify your name. It'll serve to make me more effective for the advancement of your kingdom and the doing of your will. Then by all means, heal my body. But Lord, if this pain and this sickness that you have given me is the very thing that makes me effective in the advancement of your kingdom, then leave it with me. Leave it with me. You see, it's all about the kingdom, even our prayer life, our petitions, our needs, everything about us is to be for the advancement of his kingdom. And then he goes on, he says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors in order for the church to go forward. It must go forward in unity. It must go forward without fighting and biting and tearing and destroying. It must be unified and it must be full of love because they will know we are his by our love for one another. 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Never think that it is a good thing to desire piety simply for the sake of you being a pious person. Because true piety has a higher purpose. The advancement of his kingdom. This is not just about you and I being as holy as possible, so we get as many rewards as possible in heaven. This is about us living. An overcoming life so that through our life and our testimony, again, God's name will be hallowed. His kingdom will come and his will will be done. This is all about him, because as it ends here is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This last part, though, let me say this, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The moment you open your eyes in the morning. This ought to be your first conscious prayer. You should so distrust yourself and your own flesh that you know that in a matter of moments, you could deny him. In a matter of moments, you could sin against him. There are other texts in Scripture, and they're kind of life verses for us at heart cry. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is our hope. 
This is why we labor. Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. There should be times when a missionary can't sleep at night because he's thinking about that people group with 0.01% Christian. He's thinking about them and he can't sleep. But there should be even a greater burden on the missionary's life. The the fact that the flag, the banner of Christ is not flowing, flying over that piece of land, that territory, those hearts. When you look out and you see a pagan worship, it is idolatrous and horrible. You ought to weep for the people. But that is praise that belongs to Christ. How can men sit still? How can they play with toys when there are places where the flag of Christ does not wave over the hearts of men? Throughout biblical history, What do we have? We have this, don't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Ever since the fall, this has been the goal. We have this one man, Adam, who fell into sin. And his fall is followed by a promise. It goes like this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. No sooner did man fall, then the remedy was proclaimed. The first account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ever since that moment in history, there has this been this moving and this waiting and this moving until you see one man, Noah, don't you? And what is said about him, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living things as I have done. Do you know what's really going on with the rainbow? Do you know what's really going on? I'll tell you what's going on. It's God's pledge. You say, oh, yes, that he'll never flood the earth. No, you need to understand the whole story. That noatic covenant is so much more important than people think. What God is basically saying is the whole lot of you deserve to die every day. I should destroy this world every day. But for the sake of my son. To provide all of creation with a greater revelation of who I am. I will hold back my hand in order to redeem a people through the work of my son and the proclamation of that work through his church. Do you realize that this world is sustained and not destroyed only for one purpose? To give you and I opportunity to proclaim the gospel of God's son. 
There is nothing more exquisite. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more powerful than to know that the destiny of an entire planet The destiny of an entire planet is somewhat determined by what you do. Then one man, Abraham, but when he calls Abraham, it's always with a view to a greater reality. It says, it says, I will make you the father of many nations. And again, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then from Abraham, he calls one nation. But with a view to a greater reality that through that nation would come the Messiah and in the Messiah, not just Israel, but all the nations of the world would hear and believe and be drawn back to their God. I want you to look for a moment, just for a moment, look at Isaiah chapter two. Isaiah chapter two, verses two and three. Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as a chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you realize this is us? This is our day. What noblemen and kings and wise men and sages waited for and they never saw. You and I see with our own eyes and we have been called into this work in the last days. All I can think about when I read this is privilege, 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 privilege that we who are called to proclaim the gospel are the most privileged people on the face of the earth that have ever lived at any time. And then I look and I discern the times around me and I look at the way of communication and media and everything else and I think we can do so much. There is so much to do. There is so much to believe God for. With your mouth, you say God decreed all things. And with your action, you say it seems he's decreed nothing. With your mouth, you sing, oh, God wants to glorify his son. You see a world that barely glorifies him and do nothing. The promises are not there just to study in a classroom or to write a dissertation. The promises are there to believe. To believe. I remember when I was a brand new missionary, I came home, I was wore out, I was tired, I was still in my 20s. And I did a question and answer in front of this little country church. And this little redhead boy came to the microphone. I'll never forget it. And he said, Mr. Washer, he said, when you win everybody in Peru, what are you going to do after that? Everybody laughed, except me and that boy. Why should I laugh? Why isn't it possible 
Did God not say he was going to gather a great bounty for his son? Let God draw the lines of limitation. You have no right. God has not elected a few. He's elected a multitude. And we've been called to gather them to go into every hell hole on this planet if necessary and drag them out. But we have been called to go get God's people. They asked one missionary, why do you go in there? He said, because some of God's people are in there. They're a bunch of heathen. They just don't know yet. I'm going to tell them. And the spirit of the living God is going to work. And people are going to come out of that hell hole praising Christ. Those of you who believe in sovereign grace. Should be very bold in the promises of God. Very bold. Why? Go with me to the book of Revelation for just a moment. Chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and bowls, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and Nation, Go over to chapter 7 and look in verse 9. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He wins. And because he wins, we win. So we have been called into a battle that we know we will win. And not only do we know we will win, we will carry off great spoil. Great spoil. And so like David's mighty men, we should run headlong into the mission field. And we should fight. We should fight. Now, I want us to go from here to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36, seeing the people. I don't want to make too much of this, but I want to make enough of it. It seems to me I see an awkward divide. Guys with really good theology that hardly ever see the people. And guys who go out among the people with really poor theology. Both of those are wrong. We need a balance in our lives. I remember the first time I left the country and I was taken by an old um, called Faith Baptist Missionary. They were, they were Calvinists before Calvinism was cool. He took me to Peru. 
And I remember walking those streets. I'd never been in a city larger than, I don't know, several thousand. There were millions of people everywhere you looked. Millions and millions of people. Until that moment, I never thought about the mission field, really. You see, here's something that you need to see. We all know, we all have, hopefully, a biblical anthropology. But if you can say men are radically depraved, and it doesn't break your heart for radically depraved men without Christ, you need to study better. You see, they're made by God. There's still something left of the image of God in the most vilest creature on this planet. There is still something left of the image of God. And they're people. And yes, they do evil. But before Christ saved me, I was there among them. They're people, they have different color skin and different color eyes and different lengths of hair. And they all bleed when they're cut and they're broken and they're fractured. Yes, they're stupid and evil and wicked and all those other names that we can use, but they are still made by God. Some of you probably need to study more. Spend more time with God and less time with people, and some of you need to spend more time with people and less time locked up in your library. He saw the people and he felt compassion for them, literally that his bowels were strained, his innards were twisted. It's like you someone says, I felt like my guts were pulled out and someone stomped on them. He hurt for them. He suffered with them, all of them. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed. Kind of like a. The word can mean to flay or or lacerate. They were dispirited, they were they were broken. They were without hope. I saw a Christian film one time, it was just for a few minutes. And it had a man looked like in a horrible slum sitting on the edge of a bed. It was black and white. And he had his head in his hands and there was a fan spinning around. And it just said this, a man can live 40 days without food. He can live three days without water. He can live five minutes. Without oxygen. But how long can a man live without hope? And this gospel message that we have, never forget, it's good news. It's good news. It's beautiful news. It's beautifying news. It says he saw the people and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without his shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I look around this room and I asking myself, is there any answered prayer here? Is there any answered prayer? Are any of my prayers being answered? Are there any laborers? They're going to rise up. And give their lives for Christ. 
That old missionary that I was talking about, he gave a lecture toward the end of his life. At a Bible college. He, he was he was he was something we used to call him the John Wayne of uh, missionaries. He was a rough eastern Kentucky man, about six foot three. And like I said, rough as a cob. But he loved the people in Peru. And I'll never forget toward the end of his life, he stood in a pulpit and he pulled off his shoes. And he laid them up on the thing. And he said. I'm not going to be here much longer. So. Who's going to fill these shoes? Who's going to fill these shoes? Who's going to fill these shoes? At the present time, there are over seven billion people living on this planet. By the year 2025, the population is predicted to grow to over eight billion. Of the current population, less than 8% consider themselves to be evangelical Christians. And I would tell you theologically that number is, is less. Presently, the world population can be divided into an estimated 16,787 people groups, of which 6,947 are still considered unreached. This adds up to a total of more than 2.8 billion individuals who are currently out of range of the gospel. There is also an estimated 7,000 languages and countless dialects in the world of these languages. More than 2,000 are without the scriptures. I just hope that that makes some of you mad. Remember, it's more than numbers. It's people. You know, in Ezekiel 18, God asked a question. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked rather than he should turn from his ways and live? And then in chapter 33 he answers. As I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why, why then will you die, O house of Israel? I want you to see both the burden and the hope. The sorrow and the joy and privilege. I want you to see that these are the worst of times and these are the greatest times. I want you to see that there is a war raging. And we must fight against men and devils. But I want you to see that we have a reason to be alive. To breathe. In Peru, we have a saying, tu vives porque el aire es gratis. The only reason you're alive is because air is free. That's the way most people live. 
but not for you. You're a Christian. If you're young, if you're old, if you're man, woman, you can give yourself to the advancement of Christ's kingdom according to the gifts that he has given you. What a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege. I had no intention really of sharing this, but last night I woke up and felt like I should. From now on, we're going to look at. At missions. Um, missions is very difficult, but it's not complicated. Missions is simply a biblical church with biblical elders. Training up elder qualified men and sending them out to plant another biblical church. And all the other ministries, and there can be many other kinds and types of ministries, but they're all focused on one thing. The planting and strengthening of a local church. I also want you to know there is no such thing as an esoteric or hidden secret missionary knowledge that you need in order to be useful on the field. That kind of language is used by people who don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. You need to know the scriptures. You need to know the God of the scriptures. And you need to know how to pray. And you need to give yourself to love. That's all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for everything, for the purpose, the meaning you bring to our lives. Thank you for the wonderful story of the gospel, the greatest story ever told on earth or in heaven. Oh, Father, I am so scared. Please do not live. Let us give ourselves to lesser things. I pray for every person here tonight, Lord. Oh, God. They would know you. They would know your son. That they would know greater and greater manifestations of the life and power of the Holy Spirit. That they would know joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh God, bless these dear saints, these dear children of yours, Lord. Why bring them here, Lord, if it's not to bless them? Help them, strengthen them. Fill them, Lord, with the hope of purpose. And use them, Lord, use them. That your name might be hallowed and your kingdom might come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God. God, please, you know, you know, Lord. We don't even know what to pray. 
Search our heart, spirit, and intercede on our behalf. For we want great things for this people and we don't understand how to say it. Please, please. And for everyone here, Lord, bless them and their children and their children's children, even to a thousand generations of those who love you and keep your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.